0: Hello, everyone. I just want to start off today by letting everyone know that I'm attempting to record in a different room than my normal studio, which happens to double as my bedroom closet. Uh, this new room is it's a relatively new setup as my office, and it may have an echo that you are not used to hearing. I will do my best to edit any abnormal sounds or echoes out, but please bear with me as I adjust to a new recording space. Now, on to this episode of WISE. This spring has brought some pretty heavy rainfall to some parts of the United States. Sometimes it has felt like it couldn't possibly rain more than it already has, and then it does. The rain has brought cooler temperatures with it, so some areas have experienced cooler than normal springtime temps, making it all around kind of an unusual spring for some people. But as much as it sometimes feels like it won't stop raining and that the sun isn't going to make an appearance, we all know that it will stop raining. Sometimes heavy rains bring floods but even severe floods tend to dissipate within days. What would it be like for the rain to keep coming and the floodwaters to rise and show no signs of dropping for days and days? Imagine what 40 days of continuous heavy rain would be like. 40 days of rain is exactly what happened to a man named Noah and his family. Depending on who you ask, the flooding from this rain was intense and unbelievably deadly. When you take a little bit of a closer look at the Noah story, things begin to get very interesting as you start to realize there may be surprising origins to the story And there may even be some scientific backing to a flood of that magnitude having occurred. So, let's talk about the Great Flood. Let's start off with a recap of the story of Noah. This story is an important part of the mythology within the ancient texts of Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. It's truly a cornerstone of some parts of the faith of each of these religions. Noah was a righteous man of about 600 years of age and he had a righteous family. They were such good people, in fact, that when God looked upon the earth and saw wickedness, he tasked Noah with finding other righteous people who would be saved from the deluge God intended to release on the world, essentially giving the good people a new start. The problem was that nobody believed Noah's story about rains and floods. Noah began to build a large boat according to the verbal blueprint he received directly from God. As he was building, he and his family essentially became the laughing stock of the region. Everyone thought Noah was crazy. After all, He was building an enormous boat in the middle of the desert. If your neighbor started building a boat in the middle of the street and yammering on about God's anger and an earth-ending flood, you'd probably think he was nuts too. Noah received instructions to gather all the animals of the earth to put on his ark so they would be protected from the flood and restart their own species afterwards. Some portions of the text instruct Noah to acquire two of every animal, a male and a female, while other portions of the text instruct him to acquire two of every animal except for clean animals, which he was supposed to get seven pairs of each one. Throughout the Old Testament, seven is a reoccurring number and is associated with completion and holiness. So acquiring seven pairs of each clean animal is almost certainly symbolic. Soon, the rains begin and the waters begin to rise. Noah, his family, and all the animals of the earth are tucked in safely on Noah's ark while they listen to the screams of people dying as the floodwaters rise high enough to cover the highest mountain peaks. Only Noah, his wife, their sons, and their daughters-in-law make it out alive. The ancient texts surrounding Noah's story become contradictory at some points, not just with how many animals Noah was supposed to take on the boat, but also how long the raining and flooding lasted. The rain is generally believed to have lasted 40 days and nights, but the flood itself is believed to have lasted anywhere between 40 to 150 days or so. In the Quran, the Ark comes to rest upon a mountain called Mount Cudi, while the Jewish and Christian texts say it came to rest on Mount Ararat. Once the floodwaters receded, Noah sent birds out over the course of a few days. With the final bird, not returning. This let him know that the floodwaters had fully receded and they could leave the ark. Noah and his family lived happily ever after and repopulated the earth, and the animals they rescued repopulated their own species. So here's the thing about the story of Noah. Noah. It shares a number of elements with an even older story within the epic of Gilgamesh. Versions of the Gilgamesh flood story date back to ancient Babylon, with the original version dating back to the Sumerians. If you're a patron, then you're familiar with the ancient god Enki because I recently did a patron episode about his son, Marduk. In the Gilgamesh Flood story, Anki is the god who commands the building of a large boat to very specific measurements. Anki was aware of a plot by another god to flood the earth. Even though he was sworn to secrecy, he wanted to ensure the survival of some living things. He called upon a man by the name of Utnapishtim to build the boat and commanded him to fill it with all the people and living things he could find, which basically amounted to himself, his family, the other craftsmen who helped him build the boat, and, quote, all the beasts and animals of the field. The people and animals stay on the boat, riding out the rain and the flood, until the waters begin to recede. At this point, Utnapishtam sends out birds until the final bird doesn't return to him, insinuating that the bird found dry land elsewhere. Then, the people and animals left the boat, and began rebuilding populations. There is a lot of very clear overlap between the Gilgamesh flood story and the Noah's Ark flood story. Even stranger still, there are flood stories from multiple parts of the world. The Aztecs told a flood story that involved a righteous couple hiding in a tree while wicked people were wiped out by a vengeful god's flood. In India, Vedic lore contained a flood story surrounding a mythic king by the name of Manu, who built a large ship and survived a divine flood. The ancient Greeks believed in a myth told of a flood caused by Zeus himself that wiped out almost all of humanity, except for Deucalion and Pyrrha, who built an ark, as directed by Zeus, and then repopulated the earth themselves after the flood was over. Ancient China had a story in which a man captured a thunder god and instructed his children to leave the god alone. The children felt bad for the god, though, so they released him. And, as thanks, he warned the children of an impending flood and provided them a magical gourd to stay in throughout the flood. Norse mythology tells a slightly darker story. Odin, Vili, and Ve killed a giant named Emir, and Emir's blood flooded the earth only one frost giant by the name of Bergelmir and his wife survived the flood of blood by sheltering in an ark they had built. Flood stories show up in ancient Egyptian beliefs, Buddhist mythology, mythology belonging to indigenous Australian peoples, and Ojibwe and Chippewa lore, to name a few. All of this can be explained away relatively easily when you consider that flooding is a destructive natural force that is experienced across the world. Whether it's related to tsunamis, hurricanes, heavy rains, or low land, floods can be deadly and dangerous in our current world, even in the most developed countries. When you consider that ancient societies had few protections against such natural disasters, they would often consider things like floods to be divine punishment. What's a little more difficult to explain, though, is some of the specific overlap from stories across the world. The survival of only two people or a family, the building of a large boat, to the specifications of a deity, the release of birds to search for dry land, even gods giving a specially selected person insider knowledge of an impending flood. Before we get too far into the weeds, let me clarify that there is no scientific evidence that a worldwide flood has occurred. And that is where flood geology comes into the picture. To be clear, flood geology is not an actual scientific study. It's pseudoscience at best. It was originally loosely based on scientific observations in the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries, such as so-called Reliquiae Diluvinae, or Relics of the Flood, which are a real thing, and are basically water stains on rocks that indicate where a water level once was. These were later debunked and believed to be evidence of localized flooding, and are now believed to be evidence of glaciation, or basically things becoming covered in ice and then thawing out. Flood geology is loosely based in these scientific observations and heavily based in religious beliefs and doctrine. Today, flood geology is not believed by most people, but there is a significant overlap between people who believe in flood geology as a science and young earth creationists who believe the earth is only a few thousand years old and take the religious writings of the Bible at face value without the consideration of timelines, symbolism, or human intervention in the religious text. Flood geology refuses to take into account the science behind geology, paleontology, anthropology, physics, and archaeology. When you consider the immense scientific knowledge that has been gained since the 17th century, it's no surprise that flood geology has been left in the past by scientists. It doesn't take into account the global distribution of plants and animals that would have been wiped out by a worldwide flood, or the anthropological evidence that points to humanity being spread across the globe before Noah's flood would have happened. Even if we ignore flood geology, think of what would have to go into keeping at least two of every animal, plus humans, on board a ship for upwards of a month, or even upwards of five months. The world would be flooded, meaning food is scarce. So you'd have to have enough food for all of them. And then there's the issue of water. You'd be surrounded by floodwaters that wouldn't be drinkable due to a combination of saltwater and freshwater being mixed together, and the large number of decomposing people, animals, and plants that would be present in the water. So you'd have to have enough water on board to keep all the people and animals alive. And then you have to consider that you can't exactly put the lions next to the gazelles, but you also couldn't really group all of your predators in the same area together either. The lions next to the wolves aren't going to get along much better than the lions and the gazelles. Everyone would need their own place to be safe. And I forgot to mention that this boat would have been about half the size of the Titanic. There's just nothing practical about this setup. So, we've never found scientific evidence of a worldwide flood, or even evidence of the Ark. But a team of researchers did find something interesting. Robert Ballard's name may or may not sound familiar to you, but he, along with a team and a submersible, were responsible for rediscovering the Titanic in 1985. He's a well-respected person in his field, to say the least. Between 1999 and 2014, Ballard and his team searched the Black Sea for archaeological evidence of the flood and other major events that may have occurred in ancient times. What Ballard found was an ancient underwater shoreline with shells that were carbon dated to approximately 5,000 BCE, which is believed by some to have been approximately the right time frame for the Great Flood to have occurred. The theory surrounding this was that a massive wave of water swept into the land from the Mediterranean, flooding everything in the area and, according to some, permanently changing the Black Sea from freshwater water the saltwater. One interesting thing that Ballard's team did find in the Black Sea was a shipwreck from approximately 500 BCE that still contained a crew member. Well, what was left of him anyway? They were able to identify a femur and a molar from a drowned crew member from this shipwreck. Due to the high salt content and extremely low oxygen levels of the Black Sea, the shipwreck was in surprisingly good condition. When it was all said and done in 2014, Ballard and his team had uncovered 26 shipwrecks in the Black Sea. When it comes to proof of the Great Flood, that's all we have. Ballard's team didn't find any other discernible evidence of a massive flood capable of wiping out large swaths of developed land, so a flood that could have overtaken the world is out of the question based on those findings. Searches of multiple mountains in the Middle East have never turned up any evidence of a large boat. Honestly, we may never know why the story of a massive flood with so many common threads showed up in civilizations across the world. When it comes to scientific discoveries, we just don't really know why this story was so universal. Except that sometimes it's easier to believe that something happened because of deities or bad people than to believe that natural disasters happen, and sometimes things just happen by chance. Thanks for listening to another episode of WISE. Consider becoming a WISE patron at patreon.com slash podcast. Patrons get access to extra episodes every month and get episodes released a day earlier than everyone else. If you have suggestions for future episodes or questions, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at AYSPodcast, or you can email me at a podcast at gmail.com.